Hi, everybody, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And I'm really excited about today's guest. She's a co-host of the Elves for Losers podcast and an excellent comedian. You might have caught her on shows like Bajillion Dollar Properties, Teacher's Lounge, and Comedy Bang Bang. Please welcome Jessica Jean Jardine. How's it going? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. What a nice intro. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. I uh, think that you're just so funny. I, I love uh, when you show up on the podcast that I'm a fan of. So I said, we got to make that happen on this one, too. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm honored because now I get to be a, a guest on one half of the house. And then my husband was also a guest. So there we go. Tim Kalpakis and I now both can say we were on here, which is big. Uh, house divided on the on the pick, though. But <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your relationship to horror. You know, how long you've been into it, how it started, that kind of thing. Yeah, I would say I was classically like not a horror person. Very scared. Huge <laughs> Freddy cat. Yeah, just like I went out of my way to avoid it. And, you know, every year we would get invited. I'm sure Tim mentioned this too, to our friends, Neil and Paul have like a horror movie fest around Halloween and it starts from least scary to most scary. Right. Uh, so it's like in the afternoon, it's like, it's truly like scary buddies. Like, <laughs> with like, with like the golden retrievers yeah. for kids. A and classic. Then by yeah. And then by <laughs> night, it's like, you know, borderline snuff. And so I always duck out, used to duck out in the like kind of afternoon, evening. But I will say that all of that changed becoming friends with Betsy Sodaro, who's like one of my best friends, an amazing comedian, huge, huge, huge horror fan. Oh, yeah. Has horror podcasts galore and is just like the queen of horror in my world. And I felt like she like really took me under her tutelage and was like, okay. I'm going to teach you. I think we can figure this out because I really, I want, really want to watch. She calls them spookies. She's like, I really want to watch spookies with you. So Hell yeah. she definitely like opened the door for me and it started with the conjuring. Wow. So that is why I picked it is because Betsy showed it to me and I loved it so much. And it really, I think I just didn't know that this was like a kind of genre. <laughs> like I really just thought it was like so, saw mm -hmm. and like I knew I obviously knew like scream and like all of the stuff the genre of I know you did last summer and everything from my youth but I didn't know about this sort of like beautiful elegant filmmaking style that's very like narrative and less about like jumps and really just beautiful and yeah. so that was really like an eye opener. And then from there we watched movies like The Orphan and, you know, and I think like Guillermo del Toro kind of movies, like just like I suddenly kind of was like, oh, this is like my way in yeah. where it's less about like blood and guts and gore and scaring the shit out of you. But then I will say, eventually I moved on to kind of being down with really scary stuff. Like, and fully was like, found myself like in the theater watching the Purge movie and <laughs> it came out and was like, what happened? <laughs> How did I become a person who's like watching The Purge on the Friday it came out? But yeah, I think that for me, that was, I give her full credit. And and she has like, I think really, she's really able to break down like what I would like and won't like. Um, and has like a great appreciation for like 80s 
movies and uh, she showed me Troll 2. <laughs> Classic. Uh, I don't know that it's even like horror, to be honest. Uh, but I would count it. Scary. Yeah, would but count yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of it. So now I would definitely say I'm a person who like, it's not going to be the genre I'm like first and foremost racing to the theater to see. But I, I really like being scared. Also, I, I am like a... I've always described myself as sort of like a, the movie, the theater, like the theater's dream audience. Because <laughs> I, for any kind of movie, like if I'm supposed to cry at a scene in a movie, bad or good, I cry. Easy mark. I'm a very easy mark. <laughs> Even if I know it's not actually sad, like, or know it's not actually funny, I will almost always laugh where I'm supposed to laugh, cry where I'm supposed to cry, and like I will scream really loud and jump and <laughs> gasp and... I think did Tim do Jaws? Was he that did. the movie he did? Yeah. So like in like this was this is a good example. Like when we watched Jaws, he showed me Jaws for the first time. I had not seen that either. And there was like the one that we were like watching it at home. And there's like the scene where I forget what what it is, but it's like a piece of floating something or other they pull out of the water and it has a big bite mark, mm -hmm. you know, out of it. And I said to myself, I went, jump oh, marks. <laughs> Tim was like, excuse me? And I was like, John Marks. <laughs> That's perfect. That, that is, you're right that it's ideal for an audience. So I'm good to sit with. I'm fun. I'm like, I'm, I'll give them what they want. So, so That's yeah, awesome. so I, I, I still am never going to be excited to see like really, I still haven't seen like a Saw movie and like, yeah, really gory stuff. But sometimes I don't mind. Just depends. If people Hell like yeah. it, I'll try it. Yeah, I think that. It is really important, especially for someone coming to horror later in life, to sort of have a, a guide into it. You know? I wish it for everybody. It's like <laughs> I feel like the luckiest person alive. I got like Betsy to be my like Sherpa yeah. and lead me the lead me the, through it and like it's the best. And you need that because I think it really is everyone's fear that you're gonna really hit and by the way, like Betsy has her own cutoff. You know, she, not everything's for her. We saw, oh my God, what is that one? It's like Scandinavian. It's, is it called like Mother or something? And it's about oh. like a mom who comes home like all bandaged up. Uh, oh, it was yes. maybe like five years, eight years ago or something. And we saw it in the theater. It's something, it's like, it's like a Scandinavian and they're in this like very modernist, all windowy house. And it's like the kids don't recognize, the mom is very weird after coming yeah. from surgery. Okay, yeah. And she's all bandaged up. And there's like eyeball stuff, like pokey eyeball stuff. And mm. I was watching it with Betsy and she fully just stood up and was like, I gotta go. <laughs> the Fulci like, special, we call that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm staying and you're leaving? Wow. The teacher has become the student. But, sure um, has. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. She's great. Yeah, that is great. I think it is really interesting that right around that time, there was such an intense focus on grounding movies and making them feel very gritty and hostile yeah. to you as a viewer. You know, there's the... Yeah intensity of the violence that was inflicted on people is meant to be empathetic to you and yeah. for you to feel uncomfortable. And so for movies like this and like Guillermo del Toro that work more in the sort of fantastical realm, I think it really can be a breath of fresh air to have yeah. something that you don't necessarily have to be able to re relate as strongly to. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it. It's just, it's it, it feels, it gives you kind of like a childlike wonder feel. Like it's just storytelling and this very sort of like, yeah, magical, fantastical. Another one we loved, I know you saw in the theater, was like Mama, mm. you know? That's like one I love, even though Jessica Chastain's horrible wig is a big <laughs> issue. 
but and her like whole rock and roll character but but like yeah that you can it's just that's that's my jam that's my realm hell yeah and fitting right into that as you say the movie we're talking about today is 2013's the conjuring directed by new horror superstar james wan now, James has been featured on the show before because of that first Saw movie. Oh, yeah. I always forget that. Yeah. it's And it's funny because it's so that first Saw movie is so unlike what Saw turns into that people do forget that it is a James Wan movie because it yeah, is. Yeah, that surprises me because <laughs> I, I literally use it as the exact ob- opposite of my taste. And it's like, oh, yeah, but he also made that. He sure did. I mean, I would like to watch... I always wanted to to watch a Saw movie just because anything that becomes like a cultural t- like touchstone totem yeah. like that. Yeah. Touchstone. It's like that always I get very left out feeling and I, wanna, <laughs> and I just like I get really bad FOMO and I want to know. So I'm sure I'll watch I'll, I'll watch it at some point. That first one, I think you can handle no problem. Okay. okay. It's, uh, okay. it's it's very reserved compared to what it ends up as. And it's a, a great story. I think it's a lot of fun. That first one okay. for sure. So I'll do it. Great. Mission accomplished. (laughs) Sold. (laughs) But after Saw, James hit a little bit of a rough patch in Hollywood because his next two movies, Dead Silence and Death Sentence, uh, both got panned pretty severely. And so he took a little bit of a step back. Okay. Now, in 2010, Juan released Insidious. And Insidious was notable for a few reasons. First is that he felt like the studio had interfered with his last two movies, and so he wanted to return to creative control like he had with Saw, so he produced Insidious independently. Secondly, in a reaction to the direction that the franchise of Saw had taken over the last several years uh, after his initial entry, people associated Saw with extreme violence, and Juan said that people didn't want to work with him because they assumed that that was all he could do. So he wanted to create a horror movie that didn't rely on Viscera, which is, I think, speaking directly to what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, big time. And finally, Insidious is notable because it did great. Yeah, I never saw it. I feel like a fool because I like can think of even the. I want to pull up the cover. I like. N- I totally have seen it, but I yeah, I have, I, I haven't seen it. Is what <laughs> I actually mean. I have not seen it. It's important that that did well because the reservations that the studios felt about working with James from the last two projects evaporated. And so he had a lot more leverage for his uh, next project, which was The Conjuring. Mm. The Conjuring was originally a treatment written by Tony DeRosa Grund, who had tried to get the movie made for about 14 years. (laughs) Yeah. And eventually another producer put him in contact with the twin writers, Chad and Carrie Hayes, who worked with Tony to shift perspective from the Perrin family, who are the haunted ones in this movie, to the Warrens, the couple brought in to combat the situation by incorporating the Ed Warren tape and several phone interviews that they conducted with Lorraine. And I think that this is not only an interesting move, but I think it's a really smart one because it kind of helps to empower, empower the audience a little bit and feel like things are not quite as out of control. Yeah, agreed. Now, this firmed the movie up tremendously. And so when it was sent back out, they found it to be the subject of a bidding war between six studios. Wow. Yes. And according to Variety, the main contenders were Summit, New Line, and Screen Gems. And it ultimately wound up with New Line Studios. Mm. Now, this was in late 2009, but actual pre-production finally started in 2011. So tack on another two years to that 14 years. Yeah. (laughs) It's a full teenager. Seriously. (laughs) 
and they brought Juan in, and although he wasn't specifically looking for another ghost story like he had just done with Insidious, what drew him to this script was the idea of exploring a story based on real on real people, mm. and what he said was elevating a story into legend. And I thought that that was really interesting, yeah. especially because, you know, there's debate about whether the Warrens were frauds or not. Right. And I think that that approach to it of saying I'm interested in sort of making it into a folktale legend kind of thing. I'm more interested in a good story than in the facts of the matter. Like let's say, yeah, I think that it really works for a movie like this. Yeah. And it is such a, I mean, we'll get into it, but it is such a, like, uh, I don't think it's an over, well, an overly kind portrayal, but it is like, the, it's interesting. Like with the, yeah. these two, I think it's the rightful direction to approach it from. Because uh, mm-hmm. they, they're just, that's an interesting pair of people to, to view yeah. a scary story through, you know? Yeah, plus if we're questioning them the entire time, then it's a lot harder to give yourself over to the thrill ride of the movie, yeah. which I think does, th- this movie does that so, so effectively. For sure. And when Juan came in, he suggested the title The Warren Files, which I actually do like as a name. Yeah, me but too. But they... They wound up sticking with the the conjuring, and so uh, I'm curious, which would you prefer if you had your druthers? I think I might like the Warren Files. Yeah, like that fun, sounds right? a little bit more. It almost sounds almost like true crimey now. You yeah. know, like it would sound a bit more like current mm. than I con- conjuring has like a magical sound to it too, and I have no issue with it. But Warren Files does feel a bit like. Yeah, like you're like what it is, which is like li- yeah. listening to tapes and like recording things, and you know the kind of fun detective work piece that the movie gets into. Yeah, I think also specifically calling out the Warrens in the title does help to solidify it because before I had seen this, you know, you're like, oh, which one is Insidious? Which one is The Conjuring? Yeah, like, they, they kind they, of have a can- similar like yeah, that kind of same lexicon. Yes, I agree, but. It's still a very fun name. Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson were brought in next in January of 2012, and they spent three days with Lorraine Warren at her home to try and get a more dynamic and intimate experience of what she was like instead of just relying on secondary sources, which is, of course, extremely helpful, I'm sure. Yeah. And Vera noted in particular the way she communicates with her hands as something that she got from this, along with a few other details. And it was something that I noticed before I even saw that in the movies, was how she really like uses her hands to communicate that she's not just like standing there randomly. She yeah. does uh, have a, a great presence to her, and it's it's it all kind of emanates out through the fingers in an interesting way. Yes, yeah, that's so funny. I had not clocked that, but like playing it back, it really is. It's ugh, it's such a. I love her so much. I love Vera Farmiga. I love. She's amazing. I just like <laughs> I this casting of Vera and and Patrick Wilson is just like I can. I'll never get over it. <laughs> Uh, They really are spectacular together in this. And in return for getting to spend this time with her, Lorraine was allowed to visit the set where she gave her blessing to the way that the story was being adapted, which I thought was nice. That is nice. And I can see why. It's a very yeah. like it's a very <laughs> flattering portrait more more than sure. anything. They fought off dang demons. Yeah, and their like love story. <laughs> I think we we'll talk about it more, but what really struck me in rewatching it for this was like it's really a love story, you know? Oh, yeah. It really has, like, more than most movies in this genre, it has... I mean, there, there tends to be, but I was just like, oh, this is really their love story. Oh, yeah. It, it all really hinges on him being afraid to let her 
back into the process yeah. because he doesn't want to lose her. Yes. And her saying that this is what we do together. This is what makes us us. Ugh. It really is a, an interesting kind of um, melodramatic storyline yeah. that that carries through. And I think that it's really interesting to see how that kind of does carry through his filmography, even to Malignant, which came out very recently. I haven't seen it um, yet. I was. Oh, okay. I might even watch it tonight. I can't, I feel wow. like a real. Like, trust me, I'm not proud of it, but I'm gonna watch it. I, but yeah, okay. I didn't realize it was him. I just. Went, it sure is. It's amazing. Well, I think that there are some melodramatic moments in that as well. So <laughs> if you enjoy that part of this, I think you'll enjoy that movie too. I can't wait. I can tell. I can tell. There's like weird stuff to this movie, mm. and I'm like very excited for it. Uh, I'm not gonna say don't anything say else. Don't I say don't anything. think. <laughs> Uh, the Perrins are played by Lily Taylor and Ron Livingston, both of whom I think also do a pretty spectacular job as being this sympathetic and struggling parents who are really kind of out of their depth here. Yeah, I mean, the, these four as the leads are such, like, you can feel this casting director's vibe. Like, these mm -hmm. are really cool, interesting actors. They're all beautiful and good looking and all of that, but they're all interesting and they're not like straightforward. They're interesting to look at in different ways. Mm -hmm. And like the women are not hype, you know, overly young. The men are none of them. They're all kind of slightly older and like, they're kind of a, all a little more charactery. Um, especially like Lily Taylor is like mm -hmm. kind of an offbeat choice. I feel like, and I I've loved her for a long time, but anyways, I just like really think the casting is like such a key piece to this. Yeah. They really help to elevate what could have just been another ghost story Yeah, into something much, much more than that. And I think that that's sort of the thing, right? When you see like exciting, interesting actors, like choosing to do like a quote unquote scary movie, I feel like it, you know, it, fair or unfair, it kind of adds this like, oh, wow, this is this mm -hmm. must have been really interesting to them, you know? Yeah. If it's not, you know, that normally, like, I think I really only knew Vera at that time from The Departed, you know? And mm -hmm. then it was like, oh, that beautiful actress I loved is in this? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I just think that that, I love it. I love these choices. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And also, I respect the hell out of Vera for her choices. She was also in Godzilla, which I'm a big fan yes. of. Yes! Good for her. Like, and I know. Having fun. And, she's, and she is, like, I think they're all kind of, like, like, I know Vera, I've read profiles of her, and she's, like, one of these actors who, like, lives upstate in a farmhouse, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, only comes in to like do a play and a movie or does her show and then disappears. Like is an actor, actor, actor who wants to only make interesting things. And they all kind of fall in that kind of wheelhouse to me, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They shot around Wilmington, North Carolina in chronological order, which isn't always possible, yeah. but does add something to the movie in my opinion, because it really helps the actors connect more with the characters, emotions and the rising tension. Yeah. Big time. They also utilized the university's campus as a location and brought in their professor of religious studies to serve as the chief religious consultant from the movie. They also utilized Lorraine and the Perrin family more in the marketing of the movie, really leaning hard on the based on a true story aspect, having them be featured in featurettes, advertising, all kinds of stuff in the in the marketing section of this this pr production. Mm. And I think that it does help because what if his goal is to elevate this into legend, I think that really leaning on the true story aspects of it, even if you have exaggerated other parts of it, 
are what's going to do that and really making people think, oh, this is a possibility. Yeah. This is a story I'm going to tell to my friends and bring them to see. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like a pretty rare gift for a scary movie is to be able to say like that it's pretty, you know, faithfully based on a thing. And that I think that makes everybody remember like, or at least for me, like Amityville and stuff like that. Like there's the ones that stick out in your mind of like, isn't that a real thing that happened? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Also the Warrens. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I saw that. I was like, oh. Uh, And yeah, I think that 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 does go a long way. And like, that's what they're always chasing. It's like the, that's like the central piece to paranormal activity at the beginning was tricking us into thinking it was real. And that like, we want that so badly. So why not like, lean the hell into that you know it's smart it's like a rare gift to get absolutely when it finally released july 19th 2013 it did incredibly it was only projected to make 30 to 35 million its opening weekend but it smashed that making just under 42 million and breaking the record set by the purge for the biggest opening for an original r-rated horror movie wow 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 it also dropped a handful of significant percentage points less than usual following uh, following that opening weekend and wound up making $318 million worldwide. Oh, my God. No Great one. for you, James. I know. No, this I actually didn't know how successful it was because I, I did in, in going back because I, I watched Annabelle and I think I saw Conjuring 2. Oh, look at your cat. Sorry, I got excited. <laughs> That's Stevie. Hi, Stevie. <laughs> Uh, and I definitely knew it was successful, and but I didn't realize that they had really built like the Conjuring universe uh, yeah, from the this. Conjurverse. The Conjurers, <laughs> I didn't know that. So like, and I was really surprised to see that. And I know that more have come out since, but um, but yeah, that makes sense. That's that that kind of opening is what'll do it. And critics mostly enjoyed it too, which is not always the case for these uh, movies that really strike a chord with your average everyday film goer. And the reviews tended to fall along the perhaps a little familiar, but also who cares line, Yeah, um, which I tend to agree with. You know, the aspects of it that are a traditional ghost story don't bother me because it's doing so much other interesting stuff and is so effectively done in those more classic ghost story moments. Yeah, agreed. And ultimately, like we said, it spawned an entire controversy, which have all done fairly well. But that doesn't happen without the foundation set by the best horror movie ever made. James Wan's The Conjuring. There you go. <laughs> you can't argue with it. Look at that's those right. Numbers. That's right. <laughs> all right. So to get into the actual movie, mm-hmm. first of all, great start on Annabelle's eye. Oh. Let you know right away <laughs> that you're in for something special. Oh, here. I hate that little face so much. <laughs> but yes, it's, so it's a perfect place to start. The text on screen labels it as 1968, and a few nurses are speaking to the Warrens about their situation. They gave a ghost permission to inhabit a doll that they have, which, first of all, rookie mistake. Yeah, well, that that's on them. <laughs> Second, I understand that in real life, it was a Raggedy Ann doll that was supposedly haunted. Oh. Which is scary in its own way. <laughs> I know. I don't, I think that, I will say this. I have always taken issue with Annabelle's, Annabelle and her face. I, mm. It, to me, is a little over the top. It's a sure. little it's a little too evil. I have a very yeah. hard time imagining any child not being like deathly frightened by Get it. Get this out of my face. Yeah, like I need to <laughs> like, and not to start off with a criticism, but that just has always been my beef with Annabelle. Is it's just like I know dolls are creepy and the ceramic faces are a thing, but it's just sort of like two notches too evil mm-hmm. looking. But anyway, sure. it's not. It's neither here nor there. It still works. No, 
I think that it's interesting because I do agree with you okay. uh, uh, on some level, but. but there is also an element of this where I think because this movie does function, like I've said a few times now, as a thrill ride, this feels like a movie that's really going for that and leaning into its strengths. I think that having this truly fucked up Annabelle face <laughs> is... It really helps to draw you into the world of the movie where things are heightened. Yeah. It's so early fair. on that you say, I understand what this movie is going to be kind of operating with. Yeah. This is, people just understand that this is what dolls look like and no <laughs> one questions that. <laughs> that is a very valid point. I, I agree with you there. I, I see it. <laughs> Plus, no wonder this thing is attracting demons because it's scary as hell. Exactly. So that works for me too. It's easy for demons. <laughs> they get it. Yeah. Uh, after a spooky room drawing, one of them throws the doll out, but is shocked to find a note from the doll on the floor after hearing some knocking and the doll back in its room. Now they cut back to the Warrens, who promise to help, saying there is no Annabelle. This is supposedly the name of the spirit inhabiting the doll, but it's in fact something demonic, and it was much more interested in possessing the girls than the doll. Mm, wants the humans! <laughs> it always wants the humans! First of all, I think it works great as its own little vignette to introduce us to the Warrens. Yeah. But also, I think it does function kind of as something for us to come back to and say, oh, they have a little bit of experience with stuff like this. When down the road, there is this sort of inhabiting of uh, the parents and, and the family there. Yeah. Uh, so it does it does work for me in, in several different ways. And I also really like the transition away from it yeah. where we discover that it's film yeah and and we get that great segue into into present day 1971 yeah i think it's sort of like it begins the like because it's always sort of a tall order in a sense to start any like period piece because you've got like wigs usually and costumes and like maybe they've you know uh, the film stock is meant to look different and it kind of is like a a, uh, you have to take a second i think to like let the audience (laughs) realize like what era is this where am i what is this hairstyle uh, and I think it does it that little vignette accomplishes all that and helps us like, okay, we're in this general part of American history. And but you also get that feel for the Warrens and their like warmth and Lorraine's like kind of maternal energy and like I think we get them like their vibe when they're helping people, which then becomes yeah. like so important as as we go. Yeah, I think their dynamic together is presented really well here, especially as it becomes them giving this presentation and we see them in a little bit more of a relaxed environment. They're joking around. They have their sense of humor still. Um, And we learn about them being demonologists, ghost hunters, paranormal investigators, whatever you want to call them. Just don't call them late for dinner. And (laughs) (laughs) we get a little text roll with more background uh, explaining the fact that Lorraine also has clairvoyance. Very important. (laughs) Certainly so. (laughs) The title screen happens. We go back to 1971. It's extremely slick as this droning happens and uh, it like flips around. It's a very cool camera camera movement there. Yeah, there's a couple really fancy camera moves that I definitely did not remember and was like, whoa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But without being, I feel like, like overly distracting, which is always kind of the line for me. Like, I don't like being yanked out and being like, how did they do that? But this time I was like, oh, I can I can see it. Especially in a movie like this where, you know, I've already mentioned how hard they work to draw you into the world, that it is a fine line to ride to keep you engaged in that world while still doing these fancy camera tricks and not being like, 
oh yeah, that's right. It's a camera. Yes. I'm like watching this. Happen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. We're in Harrisville, Rhode Island. As the parents move into their new farmhouse, Roger and Carolyn, the parents and five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. A lot of daughters. A <laughs> lot of daughters. And there's one more family member who refuses to move into the house, Sadie the dog. <sighs> Very eerie. We love Sadie. Big rip to Sadie. Yeah, it just And I, I love this as like a subtle, a subtle beginning. Just this, mm-hmm. this dog being like, it won't enter, won't cross the threshold to go into this new farmhouse. And it's like, I don't feel like it's overly done. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like salivating and barking. And <laughs> like, it's just like kind of quietly scared in the way that mm-hmm. it sits. It's a great dog performance, I guess you could say. Yeah. Really not overdoing yeah. it. <laughs> it really is, especially because it lets you believe that Roger would just like ignore it mm-hmm. instead of taking the dog to the vet yeah, or something. Exactly. He's just like, oh, you'll get used to it. Like, okay, you'll see come it yourself. In. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Out back by a lake, April, the youngest, finds a music box before bringing it inside. Uh, where the girls are playing a hide-and-seek variant with clapping when they accidentally uncover a boarded-up cellar. Also very spooky. Very spooky. <laughs> you don't want that in your house. No, you certainly don't. And you especially don't want to uncover a cellar when paranormality starts to take over your brand new homestead. Yep, those are bad things. <laughs> bad combo. <laughs> Bruises start showing up at night all over Carolyn. All the clocks in the house stop at the same time, 3.07 a.m., Sadie, like I said, perishes in the night, although it is off screen, thankfully. We don't have to watch anything happen to Sadie, but next morning she is uh, unfortunately deceased, and uh, a rancid smell appears through the house as well. Minus the Sadie death, which is like traumatic and horrible, I think this is, I was thinking about this when watching, like, these are all, this is a nice example of like, I'm sure there's a term for this as you write these kinds of movies, like things that as they would start to occur, you would like shrug off you know like Mm. a kind of thing psychologically that you're like like i i personally bruise really easily and so i'm really used to looking down and being like what oh (laughs) when did i do that and i have like a big gross bruise from something i don't even remember and so i like this kind of like this slow build sometimes with this kind of genre i feel like it's like a huge door slam or a big thing like breaks suddenly and yeah. I thought this was like really nice ease in stuff of just like a really weird smell. Okay, it's an old house. Weird bruises. Well, I don't know. I'm iron deficient. Like the this like kind of the way your brain is always justifying, always justifying. Yeah. And I thought this was like really good choices for that, that you would kind of be like, and the clocks and all of it, where you would notice and be weirded out, but you would also find rationale for it, I guess. Yeah, especially because it's so perfect because any one of these things, you go, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm iron deficient, whatever. But all of these things happening in succession, you start to go, maybe Hmm. something weird is happening. And it just, it's this eerie dread that starts to creep up on you. And it is really effective to have it be these little things that pile up instead of one big swing right out the gate. Yeah, I really like it. Over in Monroe, Connecticut, we see the Warren's home, where Ed is showing off his trophy room to a reporter. Love this room. Love a trophy room like that. And he explains that destroying these things would just destroy the vessel, not the spirit. So it's better to keep them all trapped in here. And a priest comes by once a week to bless it. What a fun... 
I mean. idea. It's so great set to set that up at the beginning of the Conjureverse and have it be like, oh, we can just look at through this panning shot and pick random stuff and be like, that's the thing this it's time. It's genius. <laughs> this is, I think, the heart of the the genius of the movie and the series. It's like, this is it, this room. It's exactly that. You have like a menu to choose from. Mm-hmm. It is so scary that the that it's so crazy that they keep it in their house. Like it's <laughs> so they don't have a public storage. They didn't go get another like a museum space. They keep it in their house where their young daughter lives in their like cool carpeted like sunken living room <laughs> 70s house. And it's perfect. Like that yeah. is so psychologically effective to know that there's like a room you can't go in, you know? Oh, I love it. And then, yeah, they're just also like fun. It almost has like an Indiana Jones feeling, you know, of just like m- treasures and scary shit that like you just don't, yeah. you don't want to fuck with, you know? Yeah. And your brain starts turning. Even the ones that we don't get movies for, you're like, I wonder what, what? this thing is. What's like that draws my attention. Exactly. Oh, I love it. I think it's so it's smart. We're also introduced to the idea that something happened to Lorraine Warren previously during an exorcism, as well as the Warren's curious daughter, Judy, who does explore the trophy room, much to her father's chagrin. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, who could blame her? That's the thing is like, if I'm that age, no, not me. I'm going in that room every chance I get. I'm getting yelled at. I don't care. <laughs> So fascinating. It's funny too that like this was like the first time like while he was doing the doing the, the interview he's just like I told you not to come in here I can't believe you're doing this it's like oh yeah okay timed out <laughs> more spooky stuff is happening at the Perrins uh, TV's turning on banging doors opening. The door gets attributed to an open window, though, and we discover that the banging is because Cindy is sleepwalking Mm. and smacking her head into the wardrobe. This works, again, very effectively on a couple levels, because first of all, that's scary as hell. But second of all, to have something confirmed as a not supernatural reason and say she does sleepwalk, this is something that we know about, Mm. this explains the banging, that immediately in their head makes them go there's a reason for everything yeah we're being it's a new house it's and and i i think it's important to take a second too with this house it's i i really think the set design of this whole movie is is so well done and i like i said i'm obsessed with the warrens 70s staircasey multi like level house Oh yeah, and, and this it. farmhouse is like I was really looking at it, and they, I mean, it definitely gets terrifying as it goes on, but it toes the line. You know, it's not like a cartoon scary house. It has like it's the furniture in the rooms that are p- put together is like warm, but the spaces turn really easily scary, and the, pe- the yeah. you can see peely paint, and like it, it's lit. It can be easily lit to look terrifying and also look just like old which is a not inherently scary you know yeah especially because they do talk about their money troubles a few times during this movie the disrepair makes sense and you're like well this is how you buy a fixer-upper especially a farmhouse kind of fixer-upper especially when you had five daughters no wonder (laughs) you just need big spaces and you have no money that's too many daughters no offense (laughs) to anyone who has four sisters (laughs) No, I'll co-sign. That's too many daughters. That's just too many daughters. I I say that as a daughter with a sister. That's five is too many. 
Ugh. It's a lot. It's a lot of personalities happening at once. Yeah. But, uh, April tells her mom about her friend Rory, who appears in the mirror. And when she does this funny prank on her mom with the music box, just about the funniest thing I've ever seen. I love this. I love this. It's the, this is a, such a great scene because it also like anything that, again, because they're five little brunette daughters. I don't know who is who. So like <laughs> this stuff is so helpful also in like personality and like, okay, so she's the little one and she's got the toy and she's kind of playful you know, and like curious, like that helps me actually differentiate them a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that she does feel a little left out from the other sisters. They say, she says she never gets to play hide and clap with them. And so the mother agrees to play with her where the first confirmed supernatural stuff happens and some scary hands poke out from a wardrobe and clap right in front of her before the daughter runs in from a completely different room. This might have been in the trailer. I feel like I feel like this image really was is like an iconic conjuring image of these oh, yeah. hands coming out from the dark. Oh my god, it's great. It's so well done. Really Cuz also that hide and clap is scary. Like yeah. it's a spooky take on Awful game. It's, a really it's so scary. Spooky take. But again, it's a spooky weird little choice, but enough that you could be like Okay, I guess someone could have <laughs> learned it that way. Ugh. Why not? Why? Okay. But it not yeah. not inherently like, ew, or like, it's just weird. It's a scary yeah. version. Oh, I love it. It's really great. Roger, the dad, gets the news that he's leaving to go do a transpo route down to Florida, and he'll be gone for a week. But before he can even make his way out, that night, Christine is yanked by a spirit that has been kind of grabbing at her feet. Mm. And when she doesn't see anything under her bed, she wakes Nancy and asks if she sees the person behind the door. This is another terrifying scene. This really gives me goosebumps even just remembering it because I cannot think of like, it's one of those things where you're like, I mean, I know the answer, but you're like, what is scarier? The person seeing it or the person who's standing in front of it while somebody's saying, I see it behind you. Like, oh, man. they're both so scary. <laughs> yeah, really a rock and a hard place uh. there. And she doesn't see it. She went to investigate, but she just smells the stench again, which does help for her even to feel that fear and be like, is there something here? Yeah. And then the door slams shut and the girls start screaming. Rightfully. Yes. And I love this choice. Because, like, unless... Okay, I'll ask you this. Unless it was just, like, a very dark scene I watched during the day, in that scene, I didn't see anything behind her, right? Okay. No. So, that is such a cool choice. Like, the way that we, like... Uh, I'm such a big fan, and I feel like most people are, in waiting to see. Like, you just want to have it held off for so long to see, mm -hmm. like, the face, the thing, the whatever. <laughs> so, I love that choice of, like, she's seeing it, we're not seeing it. Yeah. I also think, famously, child acting, pretty terrible. Yeah. But this performance is very impressive. Yes. I think all these kids are great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I fully agree. When the parents finally do smash into the room, she sobbingly reveals that it spoke to her and said it wants her family dead. Mm. Also scary. Very direct. Very <laughs> yeah, it direct. it really is. I do have to respect a ghost that doesn't beat around the bush. <laughs> The nights go on, more bruises on Carolyn, and one night all the pictures in the house drop and shatter while a child giggles and proceeds to clap some more. Oof. While investigating, 
she gets thrown down the cellar stairs and trapped down there as the ghosts fuck with her some more via exploding light bulbs and additional clapping. This, the clapping is so simple. It's so effective. Honestly, just the idea of clapping, kind of scary to me. It's really scary because it's, yeah, just that kind of like, the like little clapping of it. Like, yes. And like, oh my God. And yeah, this is, this is where I, t- I did get nervous rewatching because I was like, oh, is this like more brutal than I remember? And it doesn't really get like a whole lot physically like, I mean, it does, but it did not. not when she like that, that throw down the stairs could have been way worse. Yes. is so intense. And like, oh, my God. And that cellar the, or that basement or whatever is just like so perfectly spooky. But again, yeah. <laughs> I get really fussy, and I think most people do, about like, oh, it's like covered in cobwebs and there's mannequins and clowns. And like sometimes I feel like in terms of set design, it's like overdone. And I thought like, again, with like, they toe the line really nicely, I think, in all the production design of this movie. And like that that cellar is scary, (laughs) but it's (laughs) kind of a, it's normal. It's just old and dark and weird, but there is not like some cartoonishly scary object or something in there, you know? Yeah. It just looks unattended to. Yeah. And we've seen that it was boarded up. So everything checks out as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. Like, I don't <laughs> like it when it, like, tips it in that way. It's just like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be down there, but I wouldn't be able to be like, because of the thing, yeah. you know? It's just old. <laughs> Absolutely. While she's trapped, Andrea finds Cindy in her room, banging her head against the wardrobe again. She leads Cindy to bed, and suddenly, the wardrobe bangs its own doors. Mm, so scary. <laughs> Andrea approaches, and Cindy rises in the bed right before they're attacked by some ghastly spirit that leaps off the top to, to jump at them. And this is our first real look at the ghost. It is truly horrific looking. It's not over the top, but it is that makes it worse Ugh. that it's not so over the top. No. It's it's exactly as scary as you want it to be. It's just this like yeah. pale, yeah, kind of white, ghastly slash demon, Ugh, just scary. But yeah, you you <laughs> don't get a lot of it's it's very very quick uh, enough for yeah. you to be like, what was that? Which is kind of I think what you most <laughs> want to think, you know? Yeah, she's in this like inhuman pose up on the top of it, like crammed up there, and she leaps off. It's it's a really effective moment to be introduced to her in this physical presence of hers Uh, i think it's great it's very fascinating to me this sort of genre of like it's a lot of stuff reminds me of mama um in this and like the cupboard stuff and like but this sort of like spindly spidery woman kind of ghost is like i'm so fascinated by like these kind of like like yes long-fingered like spider women you know who are like yeah and it's scary like it's very effective but it kind of has a very similar freaky like caved in shoulders feeling i'm like i'm like doing Mm -hmm. it for you as if anyone can see it i'm like (laughs) the shoulders are like this but you get it (laughs) listeners you just gotta watch Watch the movie movie. you'll You'll get get to see someone do it much better than me Ryan was out there getting ready to leave when he hears all of these screams from all the way outside. He runs inside, and finally Carolyn can escape the basement, and they run upstairs to find the aftermath and not a lot of answers. Nope. Which I also think is really great for them to have to just spend the night in the house again. Like, they just have to be like, okay, bed bedtime. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite things where it's like, 
I think paranormal activity does this really well, where it's, it's like it's you've recognized something very scary is going on and you, it's nighttime is coming, you know, and you just yeah. have to get through the night and you know that's when this shit is going to start up again. And you, the viewer, know and you're all just like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like that even though we don't see them like deciding this later when we'll come back to the parents, we see them having gathered in the living room together. Yeah, I like that, too. Really great moment. But we join the Warrens again at Mass Western University in nearby Wakefield, exhibiting footage of a possession that they handled. And Carolyn is there watching and approaches them after, convincing them to check out their house. And she has to really appeal to Lorraine's sort of maternal instincts that you mentioned and say, please, my children, they're in danger. I Wouldn't you do anything yeah. for your children? She's really guilting them hard. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Well, she's great reason to. Last resort. But it is her being like, yeah, she's laying it on thick. And it works. Good for her. It sure does. It sure does. Once they're at the house... I really love the way that Carolyn hovers over them. Mm. This is a really great acting choice. To She's so eager to give them information, anything that might help them come to a conclusion. Yeah. And you just feel the desperation for help. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I think it, this is like a really, I think this performance is so subtle as we watch her. Like, and that's such a kind of, that kind of like weakened exhausted just like desperate sort of energy i think can be really hard to to not like overplay yeah she's so good at this yeah and a few of these clues that she gives do indeed seem to strike a chord the smell indicates demonic activity and the bang in threes is an insult to the holy trinity which i felt maybe a little bit of a stretch i know (laughs) and i had never heard that i was like is it very symbolic okay yeah Down in the basement, Lorraine does feel that something awful happened there and tries to see Rory while Ed records Carolyn's story. Mm. And she does see him hanging in the back of the mirror there. And out back, she also sees a ghost hanging from what is already a very spooky tree. Uh, That whole area behind the house is so (laughs) scary. I love the way this is shot, though, where... You just the feet hang and like it's just such a it's such a cool choice. It's so like it would be yeah. so much more obvious to pan up to like a full terrifying dead ghost body. And it is just these like horrible pale dead feet. And it's so scary. And like, ooh, her performance whenever Lorraine is like seeing something, these moments, Vera Farmiga is like. She can do no wrong. It is like, because it's this really powerful acting that is, it's what makes it really feel like clairvoyance where it's not about like a choice even, you know, and that it's so, and we see more about how it overwhelms her. But I think that she really like helps us see that. Like, it's like, it's about being a conduit more than like a, a power she likes to wield. Right. Absolutely. And I think that something else that's really interesting about it is, Although she is obviously holding back some emotion at seeing this, the fact that she is so reserved and isn't like, holy shit, there's a ghost hanging from this tree really speaks to the amount of experience that she has at doing this and how much self-control she has that she has trained herself to not react in such an expressive manner to these kind of haunting things. Right. We find out that even like in those scenes late, like there had been moments earlier where she like is you mm-hmm. know, hiding it basically to not scare people. That's right. Which is insane. Yeah. 
the parents say that they can't leave because their money is all tied up in the house and having five daughters. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, makes sense. And Lorraine sees that it wouldn't help anyway, because something has latched onto them, which is another very frightening reveal. The Warrens head home to prepare to gather evidence as support for an exorcism, when Ed discovers that Carolyn's voice didn't record mysteriously, while Lorraine has assembled the history of the house. And this is always a fun moment for me in these kind of movies, where they're like, all right, You've waited long enough. Here's the backstory oh, that you've been jonesing for. I love for. it. I loved it. And I loved it getting to be her. And I was like, she assembled all these documents and photos so quickly. Yeah. Just in the time that it took him to go, huh, there's nothing, yeah, uh, nothing playing so on this team. She had everything at her fingertips. I love it. A little investigative reporter after my own heart. That's right. And the backstory is that back in 1863, the house was built by Judson Sherman with his wife, Bathsheba. Great name. And Great name. it is a very good name for a I witch. And <laughs> she was a relative of Marytown Eastie, who was a defendant in the Salem witch trials. And I think it's interesting that this movie kind of supposes like, well, what if they actually were witches? I thought it was interesting, too. I, th- I feel like culturally we've sort of decided that they weren't and that it is this like when we talk about like Salem you know, it is this sort of like unfair atrocity against innocent women. And I thought it was also this like interesting take that I don't find like, you know, therefore offensive by any means. I think it's interesting to be like, what if they were witches? (laughs) Right. It's a silly, scary movie. It's not trying to be a documentary about the Salem witch trials. And so for that to be sort of wrapped in to have this, this additional backstory, I think, is, uh, is, is fun. Right. And it's such a, a thing that we all know about. You know, like you read The Crucible in yeah. high school and stuff. And especially over here on the East Coast, at least, it's a, it's a huge part of like the history that we learn about. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a big deal. And I think that it is smart to, to blend it in. Agreed. She was the sister of this defendant. And Bathsheba had a kid waited until it was seven days old, and sacrificed it in front of the fireplace. Ooh, Bathsheba. Up. Bathsheba. <laughs> can't be doing that, Bathsheba. No. It doesn't matter if you have a scary name. You can't go <laughs> sacrificing your baby. And after she's done with that, that's not enough. She runs outside to the tree and hangs herself out there. 3.07 o'clock, after declaring her love for Satan and cursing the property. Very bold strategy. Bold strategy, high drama. On the one hand, <laughs> I love it. It's big. It's attention grabbing. We love that. We love that for Bathsheba. Hell yeah. But yeah, pretty pretty vile. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. It's a serious curse. It does, uh, it does some bad stuff here. Lorraine also reveals a bunch of other deaths that relate to the hauntings that the family is experiencing, including the cellar ghost and Alice's friend Rory, both of who are byproducts of this curse curse that Bathsheba laid down on them. Yeah, it's it seems like anyone that I thought that was interesting that it's like because they they had subdivided the property, like they were still being affected by the curse, even though they weren't connected necessarily, right. but just because it had been the cursed property. They head back to the house with their assistant, Drew, and a local police officer, Brad Hamilton. And there's another real slick montage here as they set up the cameras and bells to help gather evidence. And You know, I think that montages get a little bit of a bad rap because the lazy ones are definitely bad, but you can do a lot of creative stuff with them. And I think that this is a really great example of a montage that helps pass time and communicate something boring that needs to happen while still keeping it interesting through visual flair. 
I agree. I agree. Uh, and I think it's like a cool use of like the house and bringing these new characters in. And, you know, to be honest, it's like we could just lose too much time with like the details of how they set up and do their thing. Yeah. What we want to see is them do it, which is <laughs> the point. We want to get we want to be actively doing it as opposed to like, well, the way we do this is, you know. <laughs> so I think to your point, yeah, it's like a, a very effective way to just like get us to the action. Absolutely. And the song that plays over this montage is In the Room Where You Sleep, which is an appropriate title. Perfect. And also from the band uh, Dead Man's Bones, which is Ryan Gosling's band. Oh, yes. Uh, I knew that. I mean, I knew that that was his band. I didn't know that that was the song in the movie. That's great. A little Gosling Yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, hell yeah. A little cameo by the Goss man. We'll take it. <laughs> Um, I also really like that this movie, even this far into it, retains that sense of humor. There's the really fun fake out with the cop opening the bathroom door and everyone thinking it's a ghost. Yes. Really fun moment to have pretty late into the movie. I know. And I think that it's like, I like the way they don't, that's like a very thoughtful choice for a lot of reasons. It's like levity and that, but like. You know, we're kind of getting into the, like, meat of, like, the expectation from the audience is, like, we want scary shit. We know (laughs) we're, like, we're hitting the top of the roller coaster. Like, we're ready. And so I think it's cool as a a director to kind of, like, have little left turns and let it breathe. Yeah, like, to let (laughs) us sort of be, like, I know you're waiting now for, like, the big meat of this. But, like... I want these characters to have some personality. I want there to be like, you know, there's like funny dynamics between the cop and the young guy working with the Warrens and like that kind of stuff I think is, is important to let us not just like immediately hit the tracks and start like barreling towards the end of the movie. Yeah. Playing with audience expectations uh, effectively, I think speaks really highly of James Wan's talent too. Yes. A hundred percent. Eventually it happens for real though. And so Lorraine, Ed and officer Hamilton head into the cellar to investigate. It seems to be nothing, though Lorraine does feel a presence, so they head back upstairs, and the door slams behind them, which really s- confirms for all the newcomers that something really is going on. This is the first physical pre- uh, evidence that they've really seen. Yep. The next day, we get some extremely fun scares. Lorraine is doing laundry outside when the wind kicks up, and a sheet gets blown loose but gets stopped by wrapping around a human figure that wasn't visible. Ugh. This, I, I watched this little bit three times. It's... <laughs> <laughs> incredible this is such like here's what i'll say you were i mean you are the pro in this realm but like it is very hard i feel like at a certain point to come up with like new visuals like that you know mm-hmm. like i feel like we're deep into a genre so when something like that happens at the, it's that is like such a cool creative choice like that sheet wrapping around and then the way it like whips against the building also that it's daylight like yeah. That is so unexpected now that like, and it adds to the feeling of things growing scarier mm-hmm. and scarier is that like, oh, now we're not even waiting till nighttime. We got ghosts standing around in the middle of the day <laughs> fucking with things. It, it's a really great choice. It is super well composed. Just like it looks incredible. And then for it to continue to effectively tell the story visually by slamming up against the wall. So your eyeline follows the sheet. And then when it blows away again, you're looking at the window where you see, oh, shit, there's Bathsheba hanging out in the house. I love it. I love it. I love and that, that exact thing of like telling me that's such a like beautiful, important part of horror and scary movies is like telling me where my eyes should be, you know, mm-hmm. and like 
and it's hard. Like I always think about one of the ones that really sticks in my mind. Is it Paranormal Two? It's the one where the it's you know it's all the the found footage or whatever, but it's it's the oscillating kitchen fan, mm-hmm. and fun. it and it like moves, and so every time it's like you are being told exactly where it, but in a terrifying way. Yeah. And I think that that's like to get creative with that to tell you or to draw you there is like so fun it's just such a fun little zigzag of, a, of emotion to get you there totally Bathsheba appears to Carolyn revealing that it's her touch that's bruising her <laughs> and she proceeds to vomit up some gross black bile right Ugh, into her mouth this is rough poor Carolyn <laughs> he's really getting the short end of the stick she on this really haunting. yeah as if giving birth five times wasn't enough <laughs> now she has to like I- ingest Bathsheba vomit? Come Ugh, on. We hate that. We it's hate my that. least favorite thing to ingest. <laughs> no fair. Carolyn acts weird, though, when Lorraine runs in to check on her, and you better believe it, she's possessed. Oh, Bathsheba got <laughs> She got her. She got her good. Damn you, Bathsheba. She got her good. Sorry. The cop gets scared by the ghost of the maid that was forced to kill herself, and while that's happening... Cindy gets lured upstairs. These are some tricky ass ghosts. I tell you what. No, it's like so much activity at this point. That's why I love it. It's like, and they're utilizing like all the like levels of this house and the weird Mm -hmm. rooms and sheets of laundry. It's so layered and uh, textured. And like, it's just so visually fun to be moving through this. You feel very like present in this house and space and where everything is occurring, you know, yes, but also absolutely. like, also kind of like hopping around where we're like, Oh, you're in the cellar. You're at the, in the, you know, it all yeah, over. keeps it fresh. Yeah. They find Cindy in a hidden secret hallway behind the wardrobe that she has been banging into all this time. And April says that that's Rory's spot for hiding, which is also very scary. Very scary. (laughs) They continue to explore it, and Lorraine finds a noose before plummeting through the floor in a very fun sequence. This really took me by surprise. And then also there's some fun camera movement that accompanies it as well. Beautiful. It's such a genuinely real and terrifying looking fall. And it really makes you feel like you are falling through the middle of a terrifying old cobwebby haunted house. (laughs) Like it gives you the feeling somehow of it. Lorraine is now isolated in the cellar and she sees a woman sobbing over the child that she was possessed and compelled into killing saying she made me do it. And Bathsheba's hanging corpse attacks her stealing the locket. Lorraine finally emerges from the cellar to say that Bathsheba has been feeding off of Carolyn this whole time before things are interrupted by their daughter, Nancy being attacked by the spirit. Also scary. And this was caught on camera. So, This scary moment for Nancy is now going to serve as proof of the haunting and the Warrens can take it to the church for approval for an exorcism while the parents retreat to a motel. And this scene of her, this is where she's like flying around the living room. Oh my God. I mean, talk about the build of this scene of like first just the crosses falling off the mantle and things like that. And then, and again, I think that the, like the way the, 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 well, I don't know if you talked about it, but the way that religion is like woven in, I think is it's obviously like, you know, the point of the movie is that God is good and the devil is bad and <laughs> things like that. It's really like subtle until it kind of can't be uh, towards the end. But yeah, so it kind of these like shaky little crosses and then it heightening so quickly to her, like zooming around and having to cut her hair to get it free. Like, Ooh. 
whew, it's so much just like practical effect feeling, you know? Yeah. I love it. So scary. Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. It, it really is. Um, unfortunately, Lorraine has a vision of Judy in the lake Oof. and knows that this is a warning. Now it's coming for her home and her uh -oh. home life. Uh-oh. Father Gordon explains that he is, in fact, scared of what he's being shown, but approval for the exorcism would have to come directly from the Vatican because the parent families aren't members of the church and the children are not baptized. <laughs> I like that he's like, yeah, we can't do it, but don't worry, I'll push it through myself. I love it, yeah. It's like, I'll really try to expedite it. It's like, dude, there's a ghost going nuts in this house. Can we in 1971. It's yeah. not like you can send an email. I know. Like, okay, so what is that? A manila envelope to Italy? What's happening? Like, these people are getting, like, brutally attacked in the yeah. meantime. But that's why Indeed. you gotta, gotta get baptized, I guess. I guess so. Back at the Warrens, Judy is indeed attacked by Bathsheba, and the, and the pendant is sort of the connection point. And they use Annabelle as the conduit as well mm. before her parents burst in and save her. Finding Annabelle still in the case. This is a really another great moment, yeah. especially for it to feel so like sneaky and cheeky at this complete different environment. And this is not the area where you expect this like fun ghost action to be happening. I know. Comes out of nowhere. I like it a lot. This feeling that it like, I think this is really effective in like because we've learned that yeah like the the parents can't like leave their house and that you know it's really stuck on them and so I think this is like yeah your worst fear is it's like jumped and now it has found its way into the Warren's house and their daughter and it like grows the world and the reach and like that does such a chilling effect I feel like <laughs> yeah back at the motel Carolyn now smelling like rotten meat absconds with Christine in April, and she's trying to stab them in the cellar, but is narrowly stopped by Roger, who also alerted Ed and Lorraine. And they stop her, but they aren't able to remove her from the house as the witch drags her back to the cellar. Ooh, and this moment where they're trying to, like, bring her out and her skin is, like, burning, and then she just gets yanked back... <laughs> They're just really firing on all cylinders at this oh, part of the movie. I love it. And it's like, this is, again, yeah, it's so effective. Like, she is fully in, like, the witch's grasp. She's possessed. You can feel, like, the build of her, like, possession. And, yeah, now now you to know, like, okay, this just has to be dealt with in this terrifying house. No way Yeah. It. Yeah, and it leads to this big-time scuffle downstairs. The cop gets a hole bit in his cheek. <laughs> He wasn't a believer. That's what you get. That's right. She's freaking the hell out. Uh, Ed says these the exorcism can't wait, and he has to do it himself. And there's a lot of running around the house in these moments, and yeah. the camera's flipping all around and upside down. And again, very stylish, yeah. not obtrusively so, but it keeps these moments that could be very boring, at least visually interesting and distinct. Yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. It's great. It's This it scene is, is like, I mean, Carolyn, like, covered in this sheet Whew. is such a cool choice. It's like, you know, obviously we, like, would want to be seeing her, and, like, and, you know, that's normally would be such a, like, meaty scene of her possessed in her face. But it's like, again, it's kind of like a ballsy, confident move as a director to be like, you're not going to see her face. You're just going to see her wrapped up and blood like spurting Ooh. from the inside onto this sheet and these horrifying sounds and her like levitating. And it's like, it is again, it's like the scene up, er, upstairs earlier with the, not seeing the ghost in the corner of the room. It's like, it's scarier not to sometimes. Like, I just feel like he has a good touch for like when it, 
is way scarier to not see the thing. Yeah, and I think that it also sets up an even better scare when Bathsheba emerges with like the little half face yes. through the sheet. Little fan of the so, opera. Yes, it's so much more effective. <laughs> that that is truly the music of the night happening there down you there. Go. Because there you- it is so scary and yes, you know, when you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is an interesting choice to not show her. Yeah. And then for for them to forsake that easy scare in lieu of this one is just so confident. It's so confident. And I also love that, like, yeah, this brings us together, gets us to this, like, kind of love story moment, too. That's right. Lorraine and Ed and, like, and knowing that, like, he's so scared that, you know, because I love the way he, like, says it earlier that, like, every, how, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, like, every time she has one of these clairvoyant things and she sees what she sees, it takes a little piece of her Mm -hmm. and that the last time was so much and it took so much, whatever she saw and we don't know what she saw. And so, yeah, it's like, there's this very, in the middle of this like demon spurting blood, (laughs) there's like, and this desperation of another husband trying to save his wife. It like became this very funny, like marital scene to me where it's like one husband being like, please save her. And then, and then it's like, you have to leave. I can't lose you. I was like, these poor husbands love their wives so much. Maybe that was they just sure my do. read. <laughs> no, they sure do. And uh, I think that it is, it does kind of put her in a tough situation because, you know, I'm sure that she doesn't want to stare down a demon either. No. But for her to feel so, you know, she says over and over that this is what God brought her and Ed together to do. Yeah. And so f- feeling like this is their purpose. I think really gives her the strength to serve as kind of a spine of their relationship. Yeah. And every time that Ed is scared for her, she serves as the strength and says, no, we can do this. We've done it many times and we'll continue to do it because we're together. Yeah. I think it it says a lot about their relationship. and, And I think that again, going back to how effective the casting is, that it would be very easy for this to be corny or it to be overly schmaltzy, and instead it feels like it really fits into the world. It fits in the world, and they have incredible chemistry. Like, you just believe it. You believe their love, and and that has to be, like, in this movie, you have to. Because otherwise, yeah. I think it's what would make their whole thing feel like, are they con artists? What is their deal? Who are they? But you're like, they love each other. They really believe in God. They believe in the devil. They don't want to lose each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just very clear, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, in the chaos that is happening around this exorcism, Bathsheba escapes custody and makes a break for April in one last effort to kill her. And she does get real close, but Lorraine runs to another entryway and reminds Carolyn of her favorite memory of her family, enabling Carolyn to fight once more from the inside and puke up the Bathsheba bile as Ed finishes the exorcism, damning Bathsheba to hell. Off she goes. Wonderful. Off Off she goes. she goes. The power, Happy ending. The power of motherhood. Yes. Uh, I really do think like this is always. I, I'm fascinated 
maybe it's just being like a woman in my 30s but how often horror movies and scary movies like centralize around motherhood and like the killing of a child or like don't lose your children or like turning on them so I thought this was a perfect example of that where like we know how much yeah Lorraine how much she loves her daughter and that that she's like transferring that on Carolyn in this moment and it's really her like remember like remember (laughs) but it's not even just like remember your husband remember your life it's like remember your family and your kids and it works you know like that always I think is an interesting recurring theme in a lot it's just like to not turn and certainly not kill your kids but also like remember (laughs) the power of like motherhood in this interesting way you know sure Fast and the Furious it's all about family kind (laughs) of it's all about family all we needed was Vin Diesel to get in there that's right zoom off pick them all up and zoom off at the end Vin Diesel as Bathsheba that's my pitch (laughs) I would watch it Happily. But yeah, this is it's a great little happy ending. Everyone goes home, and we even get a nice little stinger there where Ed adds the music box to the trophy room, and Lorraine mentions a case in Long Island that the priest wants to discuss with them. Nice little setup for a, for a conjuring part two. Leave that door open. You, you gotta. Not that door, though. Not the door. Not that, that door. Room. You gotta lock that door. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Jessica, we've reached the part of the show where we sum up why this is not just a good horror movie, because we've been doing that the whole time, mm-hmm. but why this is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. Okay. Well, I'll say this. For me, it is a combination of everything I want. It's unabashed in utilizing a lot of classic tropes, moments, scares, demons, like a lot of very classic pieces, but also updating it with a lot of like beautiful touches. It's unafraid, I think, to be a movie as opposed to just like a visceral, quick experience. And that I think is very hard to pull off. And that is like in this genre that we were like talking about at the beginning. There's, it's not a big genre. There's not a lot of movies that I think like feel like beautiful films that are genuinely able to scare the shit out of you. <laughs> and I think that this is kind of like the gold standard in my book. Um, and I compare everything against it. And you're just not going to really get better actors at the end of the day. So that's really, I think it is like, either your eyes are never bored. There's always something incredible to look at from like production design to the faces, to any, to the demons themselves. And like, I just don't think it gets that uh, a whole lot better. Yeah, I totally agree. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it is functioning so effortlessly as like a circus. Yeah. Because you have the one ring with James Wan having an incredible directorial style that is identifiable as very James Wan. And keeping the moments that could be boring interesting. And we've already I've already mentioned several times that he keeps the camera flipping around and doing stuff, but without keeping it obtrusive. Yeah. In another ring, you have the story, which is fascinating. It's so fun to watch this build and build and build and to see that love story be effective. It's not something that's easy to do because so often it is considered just a B plot. Yeah. And so it gets it's 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 an afterthought. People don't put that much effort into it. And this really feels like he tried to make this a cohesive whole. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the final ring, we have these performances, which you cannot say enough good stuff about. 
not only our four leads, but even the kids are good in this movie, which yeah. is not easy to do. And some of them have gone on to be like Joey King is a big actor now. Mackenzie Foy, like some of these kids are now like actor actors, which makes right. sense. It does make sense. I think that everyone is working together at the top of their game in this movie. And really, this is the kind of thing where you really feel like a movie is a community work. You yeah. know, it takes a village to raise a child. <laughs> and in this case, to make The Conjuring. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And it's, I think it, it also just moves that like, it's a kind of movie and this tone, I think, can sometimes lend itself to like bloat or mm -hmm. slow pacing. And I think that it's like... I give a lot of credit for the like steady clip that you are like really, especially considering you're talking about like a love story, kind of two different families stories yeah, and a, and a scary story that needs to be told. It's a lot of like, it's kind of a, a bit of a Russian, like a nesting doll type setup and that could be pretty bloated and it's not so. Absolutely. I just, had, Absolutely. I just love it. It was so fun to rewatch. And I really was like, and it did exactly like, it's the first scary movie I've watched so far. And it like got me ready for like, I was like, it's okay. It's Halloween. Perfect. We're watching yes. scary movies. We're doing it. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm going to finally watch Malignant. I'm going to do oh. it. There we go. It's a perfect thrill ride. And uh, what, what more can you really ask for, folks? Nothing. Jessica, this was so much fun. Thank yes. you so much for coming on. Please tell everyone where they can find your socials, your shows, all that jazz. Happily. Well, it was so fun. I can't think of anything more fun than getting to talk about a fun, fun movie. <laughs> and yeah, if anybody is interested in pop culture, uh, reality TV, things like that, I have a weekly podcast with my co-host, an amazing comedian, Marcy Jaro, a writer from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and a friend from UCB. And it's a Patreon called L is for Losers. And it is a weekly pop culture roundup we talk a lot about the bravo universe of housewives but also everything in between just a lot of a lot of garbage celebrity info that you can listen to every week we also do weekly recaps of vintage episodes of keeping up with the kardashians so hell yeah check it out patreon.com ellis for losers and if you want to find me i'm hanging out on all the socials at uh, jjjla because i'm jjj and I live in L.A. Very easy. There you Very go. easy. No excuse. Easy Come enough. find me. Say hi. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Follow Jessica. Like I said at the very beginning, wonderful comedian. And I uh, enjoy her showing up on every podcast. So uh, definitely check that out. But as far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. And you can check out our Patreon where you can get all kinds of fun bonus episodes. Uh, we've talked about everything from EC Comics to uh, Freaky Friday 2003. We covered with Alana Johnston as the best horror movie ever made. Love it. <laughs> so, Love her. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And you can find all kinds of great stuff that might not necessarily fit on the main feed <laughs> over on the Patreon. <laughs> so uh, check that out and rate and review if you're enjoying the show because it really does help. All right, everyone. Thanks so much. And thanks again, Jessica. Thank Bye. You. Bye.